Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, well, if I don't know you, my name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. We are uh, grateful you are here uh, this morning. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 5. So if you want to turn there, uh, that's where we will be uh, this morning. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. So hear now the word of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servants or your female servants or your ox or your donkey. Or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servants and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And this is God's Word, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, may these ancient words speak life and truth into modern times. Uh, And may we have ears and hearts willing to hear what you have for us. Uh, And I pray, God, you would give me the capacity to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a culture of accumulation. In 1975, the average house size in the United States was 1,500 square feet. Today, it is 2,500 square feet. That even though our family sizes are smaller than the families of the 1970s, our homes are 70% larger. In addition to the larger homes, Americans rent over 2 billion square feet of storage units, $38 billion a year to rent this space. That we own so much more stuff than our grandparents, we cannot fit it into the larger homes that we own. As the beginning of uh, this year, 2023, Americans were carrying $986 billion in debt to credit cards. Almost $1 trillion of debt. Now I recognize sharing those statistics is not the most friendly way to start a sermon. Uh, but I, I do share them with total compassion and grace. As I said at the beginning of this series on the Sabbath... Uh, This is not a series uh, on legalism, but one full of compassion and grace. So I'm not saying owning a larger home or storage units or credit cards are wrong or necessarily a sin. I'm I'm not saying that. 
But I do think these statistics raise a question we should ask. Which is, what is going on with us that we desire to own significantly more than what our grandparents lived on? Why do we believe we must own more to have a good life? Why do we believe we must have to own more to have a good life? To ask that question brings us right into the storyline of the Sabbath. The Sabbath story in the scriptures reveal there's, there's two types of gods loose in the world. The gods of accumulation and the true God of Sabbath. And that's the outline for this morning. Some reflection on the false gods of accumulation and the true God of Sabbath. So let's start with point one, the false gods of accumulation. Uh, Now I read Deuteronomy 5, which is the Ten Commandments. I just read the fourth. Uh, But what's interesting to me is, is the commandments are written two times in the Scriptures. And if that's news to you, I didn't know that until I got to Bible college. And I remember just being shocked. Wait, twice? Why? Why twice? Uh, Well, one reason is that here in Deuteronomy 5, Moses is speaking to different people than he did the first time the commandments were given in Exodus 20. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments were given, and then a few things happened after that, most of them most of which were not very good. The people who heard Exodus 20, who heard Exodus 20, the first round of the Ten Commandments, went on into the wilderness and were fed miraculously by God. But we find them constantly complaining about the food, about the travel. And they complain so badly they begin to say among themselves, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Which is a pretty incredible thing to say because they were slaves in Egypt. But it, it gets worse. The whole reason they're, they're walking through the wilderness is to get to, to land God promised for them to live in. A land flowing with milk and honey. A, a land rich with blessing. If, if you read the description, it almost sounds like Genesis 1 and 2. God's inviting his people into another seventh-day rest in the land. But on the doorstep of moving into the land, they become afraid and refuse to trust God. And because they refuse to trust God, God will no longer permit that generation to live and enter into the promised land. And so now in in Deuteronomy 5, that generation has died off, and a new generation is now leading Israel... And that generation is the generation Moses is speaking to in Deuteronomy 5. So that's one reason why we get repeat. He's speaking to new people here. But the other reason, I I think, is, is these people are on the cusp of moving into a new land. And God wants to define for them how they are going to be different in this land than all of the nations around them. And if you've ever moved to an area that's not where you're from, this becomes readily immediate to you. If you're not careful, you'll lose your distinctiveness and just become like the people that live in the land around you. So, for example, when I moved to Kansas as a Hoosier, I had to be very intentional about maintaining my Hoosierness. 
And one of those, one of those examples is people in, there are people in Kansas who will get mad at you if you say Indiana is in the Midwest. They actually care about that. And they'll, look, they'll tell you, look at a map. Indiana is in the Mideast, to which, maintaining my Hoosier Midwestern identity, I would say, the fact that you care about who is and who is not in the Midwest is proof that you are not in the Midwest. <laughs> Midwestern people do not care about such things. You should come to Indiana where we don't spend time thinking about things like that. So to live in, in Kansas as a Hoosier, I had to, ma- I had to be intentional to maintain my, my Hoosierness. And so God is giving them ten ways to live to keep them distinct from the people around them. Which raises the question, okay, well how does the Sabbath make them different, unique, to all the other nations? And the answer to that question, it's, it's here in Deuteronomy 5, but it's actually, it starts back in the story of the Exodus, which I want to briefly tell. The story of the Exodus is the original Marvel Comics universe. It's the original MCU. It's the, the gods duking it out among one another. That's the story of the Exodus. That what I'm suggesting to you is all Marvel movies are a ripoff of the Bible. Hear me out. So Exodus starts when God goes to Moses and says, uh, my people, your people, Israel, is suffering under the heavy yoke of Pharaoh. And I want you to go to Egypt and I'm going to use you to free my people out from under Pharaoh's grasp, out of slavery, and into the land that I'm going to give them. I'm going to free them from slavery and move them into a land of blessing. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and here's what he says. Exodus 5.1. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Not just let my people go, let my people go that they may feast. That should sound to you like a Sabbath. My people are living under your slavery. I want to to free them to come back into the Sabbath blessing of feasting that either God have for them. And so this is one God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, speaking through Moses, coming to another God-like figure, Pharaoh, who represented the gods of Egypt, and saying, We're, it's about to get on. We're going to fight. Because I'm going to wrest these people out of your control. It's the gods duking it out. Pharaoh says no. He demands Israel to do even more labor. Make more bricks on less supplies. They are not getting a Sabbath under Pharaoh's reign. But I, I want to notice, that if, do you remember what they were building? What Pharaoh had them ground into the dust in order to build for him? Or it's told in Exodus 1.11. Therefore they set taskmasters over them, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. They were building storage units to hold Pharaoh's wealth. Cities for Pharaoh to, st- to store all that he had accumulated. So notice what's going on. Pharaoh, who is unfathomably, unfathomably wealthy, 
needs entire cities to store his wealth. But he also needs slaves to build the cities and to build his wealth. What a system. An economic system built on endless accumulation and wealth for Pharaoh, which required grinding most human beings into the dust to serve him and the gods of Egypt. No Sabbath, no rest, no fullness and blessing with the gods or the leaders of Egypt. Which is how most gods work in the world, and it's why Walter Brueggemann in his book Sabbath is Resistance writes this. What they, all the false gods of accumulation, what they all have in common is that they are confiscatory gods who demand endless production and authorize endless systems of production that are in principle insatiable. There's never enough. I'll never say, I, I've built enough store cities. You can have a rest in the, in the, in the world. You can have a feast to your God because I have enough. That will never happen. And so God intervenes to give his people a Sabbath rest, to break them free of not just false gods, but a false economic system where gods take and take and never bless and never satisfy. So I hope you see the difference between the God of Israel and the, and, and the gods of Egypt, Pharaoh. It's Sabbath rest or endless accumulation, no satisfaction, always more store cities to be built. More humans to be ground into the dust so that some humans can have more and more and more. That when will Pharaoh have enough? And asking that question of Pharaoh might might cause us to ask ourselves that question. When will I have enough? How much have I maybe bought into the gods of accumulation? And might this explain our efforts at accumulation in the last few decades? Might we have taken up residence with the gods of Egypt? In 1929, the smoking industry had a pretty significant problem. It was considered socially taboo for women to smoke. Men could smoke, but not women. And that was a problem because if half of the market is off limits to you, that means you can only make half the money that you could make if the whole market was available to you. So the tobacco industry turned to Edward Bernays to try to get women to smoke. And here's what Bernays uh, did. He looked around at the growing feminist movement in American culture. Women were increasingly frustrated by and rejecting very limited roles, desiring to pursue education, college, careers, desiring to not just have one role available to them, uh, the housewife, but, but many different roles available to them. So Bernays connected that to smoking, and he launched the Torches of Freedom ad campaign. Notice that. It's not just a cigarette. It's a torch of freedom. Like the Statue of Liberty. And so ads of women looking strong, free, independent started getting released. And it worked. By making smoking about freedom, we, women began to smoke. And this uh, began to change modern advertising. Now ads don't tell us, hey, this is a good product you should buy. Ads seek to create a want in you, to create a desire to want, and a desire that can only be met by buying their products. 
And we can look at this, you know, 100 years later and say, what a ridiculous idea. Smoking doesn't make you free and liberated. Cigarettes are not torches of freedom. And yet, how many ads do you, do you see with that, that line in it? Believe in yourself. Be free. Buy our product. You can have the good life, but only if you buy what we are selling. And I'm suggesting, might that be a reason why we believe we need so much more than our grandparents? Might that be a reason for our significant increase in accumulation? That the false gods of accumulation look different in our day than they did in the day of Pharaoh, but it's still a life built on accumulation, believing we need more, no matter the cost, in order to have the good life. And so again, Walter Brueggemann in his book on Sabbath writes, the system of commodity requires that we want more, have more, own more, use more, eat more, and drink more. The rat race of such predation and usurpation is a restlessness that issues inescapably in anxiety that is often at the edge of being unmanageable. Accumulation that leads to restlessness and anxiety. Accumulation, restlessness, anxiety. What culture does that sound like to you? And so let me offer a couple of uh, diagnostic questions for you to meditate on to discern maybe how much the false gods of accumulation have shaped our reality, your reality. Question one, could you go 24 hours without purchasing or shopping for anything? That's one part of my Sabbath practice, is to not purchase or buy or shop for 24 hours. Can I go 24 hours without accumulating a new possession, a new experience, or shopping for one online? 24 hours to not buy anything, shop for anything, go to Amazon, Google what I want. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm inviting you to consider this. This isn't a law that's in Scripture. But the reason why I think you should consider it is how hard it is for me. It shouldn't be hard to not buy anything for 24 hours. But it's amazing the things that I I remember I need in that 24-hour window. And what does that say about me? That I struggle to go 24 hours without dreaming or purchasing something new or a new experience. Could you go 24 hours without spending any money? Diagnostic question two, uh, how generous is your life? Uh, In my 20 years of ministry, the two ideas that get the most pushback that I've experienced is, is Sabbath, the idea of rest, and, and intentionally carving out time for worship and not other things. And second is the idea of a tithe, giving away 10% of your income. And I find that interesting, that the wealthiest and most materially blessed culture in history, the Christians from that culture struggle to carve out time to worship weekly and give 10% of their income away. The culture that has accumulated more than any in history can't give 10% away of what we make. And I believe those things are deeply connected to one another. 
That for some of us, we might be able to start giving 10% away if we just had one day where we didn't purchase anything. Because the number of times I thought I needed something one day, and then you wake up the next day and was like, actually, that was crazy. I didn't need that, and now I'm glad I don't own that. Might that add up to a, a tithe? Or maybe after a, a, a day of worship, of connecting with God in, among his people and in creation, weekly, we begin to, to in, uh, imbibe the idea, I have all I need. I can give 10% away. I have all that. I don't need more than what I have. I'm submitting to you that the, the false gods of accumulation are powerful forces in our culture. But enough about them. Let's talk about the true God of Sabbath. Now listen uh, to how this passage works its way out. Deuteronomy 5. I'm going to reread this passage. And just listen to what God is like from this passage. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your male servants, or your female servant. And God is saying to his people, you are not to work. The people who work alongside you, or for you, into the dust. You are not to work your children into the dust. I mean, what concern for the, the poor and the vulnerable among us? Pharaoh's like, your life for me. You, I'm going to grind you into the dust and take all I can from you. God's like, you will never treat anyone like that. Because I don't treat anyone like that as the creator God. Reading on. Uh, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock. God actually shows concern for the care of animals. Don't work your animals into the dust. It's, uh, William Wilberforce is largely known as the one who stopped um, the slave trade in Egypt. Or in, uh, not in Egypt, in England. Um, but he also concerned deep, was concerned deeply for animal rights. And that was a huge part of his work in Parliament as well. Is that animals under our care, they get a Sabbath rest too. Moving on. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. I mean, who are the easiest people among us to work into the dust? Immigrants. The foreigner. Those who have moved here seeking an economic life of security. And there are more than enough businessmen who said, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you uh, an unfair wage and work you seven days a week. And God says, you will not do that as my people. The foreigner is to be treated with the same dignity and honor as your own son and daughter. And then finally, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God found Israel's slavery wrong. So he intervened that he might restore their dignity and humanity and then said, that's why you practice the Sabbath. Because you're not slaves and you're not to enslave anyone the way you were enslaved. We're not, you're not going to be like that. 
I mean, how different is this God than the gods I just described to you of Egypt and Pharaoh? The, the, my hope in this series is that you will consider practicing a Sabbath of some kind, not because it's an Old Testament law you better do, but because by practicing the Sabbath, things happen to us where you know more deeply the true rest of God and you become a different type of person. When you practice the Sabbath, you resist a life and the gods of accumulation. And my hope is then, then because we Christians know true rest, we become a people of an, as an alternative community to the world of accumulation. That people look at, at our lives and see them as meaningfully different than the life of Pharaoh and the life of accumulation. So I want to end uh, by dreaming a bit. If we abandon the gods of accumulation for a true God of rest, what would be different about us? How would the world experience us? A few ideas, then I'll take my seat. First, people who know the true God of rest would be a joy to work for. I was recently with a friend of mine who's one of the best Christians I know. He's an amazing, amazing guy. We started talking about his work, and he, he's worn out. Uh, calls for work start early in the morning and run late into the evening. They go seven days a week. And while we were together, his boss called me. And when he saw his boss's name, he immediately said, oh no. I later learned his boss was a Christian, and that made me sad. One, that his boss is a Christian that runs a business where employees or, cu- or customers can make any demand they want at any time of day. A good boss would fire those customers. But also the look of dread. Like he's working for Pharaoh. But imagine a work environment run by a Christian who protected his employees' need for rest, or her employees' need for rest, a Sabbath. What if, like, the people here who were in management positions or who own businesses had a reputation that you want to work for people at liberty? Because we lead companies or teams that don't see people as slaves. To satisfy our needs of accumulation, but who restore the human dignity of work. The Sabbath is not about weird rules one day a week. It is about honoring the people around you who work alongside you. Showing them that God is not a slave driver. So neither am I. He's a God of rest and therefore flowing through us should be the true Sabbath rest to anyone we work alongside or work who works for us. And in case you're, you're sitting there thinking, but that would mean bad business. Well, like the industry leader in uh, photography and camera purchasing is called B&H Photo. It's run by uh, Jewish people in, in Brooklyn, and their website is inaccessible from Friday night to Saturday night. They run a really good business, and they will not let you buy from them on Saturday. It's possible. It's not possible if the gods of accumulation are our vision of life. But you can run a good business and and embrace the the true God of Sabbath. Second, uh, people who know the true rest of God would be good news for the poor. A lot of what's going on in Deuteronomy 5 is, is inviting us to ask the question, how does my lifestyle 
my economic practices affect the poor? And I can't answer that question for you, but I believe we should ask it as Christians. That's what Deuteronomy 5 is all about. It's, it's the slaves, it's the animals, it's the, the foreigner, the immigrants, the vulnerable among you. How you practice the Sabbath so they experience goodness and blessing through you. And so we should think about our own economic practices, where we purchase, how we purchase, so that the poor can have rest and their dignity is honored. Third, people who know the true rest of God would be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. The false gods of accumulation are always communicating with us, you still have more to do. And this is why, uh, again, I'm going to quote from Walter Brueggemann one more time. He says, The various elements of that restlessness of not enough yet and greater effort required are evident everywhere. But they are grounded in a theological desire for an ultimate reality of total salvation that is no reality at all. Here's what he's saying. That those, those phrases, not enough yet, you have to do more, greater effort required, is saying to you, well, once you've done enough, then you'll experience total salvation. Then you'll have accumulated enough. And what Brueggemann is saying is it's, that's no reality. The only salvation is, is the God of true rest who says to us, stop one day in seven. I think that's a really important message, especially for our students, those 18 and, and under in this room. I mean, the rates of, of anxiety uh, in students, high school, middle school, are at alarming rates. And, and I believe that's because of what, how we're teaching them to live. And one of the things, listen, let's just be honest as parents, we are teaching them a Sabbath-less a Sabbath life, no rest. Now, I, I know someone who just played uh, golf in college, and she graduated uh, last year. And I asked her how much she'd played since graduation. And her answer to me was not surprising, because I had a similar experience. But she said she had to stop playing golf to heal her relationship with golf. Which in one sense is weird. Why do you have to heal yourself, uh, your relationship with golf? Well, it's, it's not enough yet. Greater effort required. So much pressure, no rest. Keep at it. Practice more. Don't take a day off. You'll fall behind. And students in the room, I hope you get a, I hope you get a day off. A rest. Of no accomplishing. No homework. I said it, no homework, one day a week, which many teachers don't assign so much sometimes, I don't know. Um, but a day to say you are loved by God, made by him, there is no greater effort required for God to love you. And you get to experience that for a whole day. I believe that adds up to a non-anxious life. Uh, fourth, people who know the true God of rest would not trade the true God of rest for the life of accumulation. And just to say, we are in a decades-long experiment with two trends. One, uh, we are accumulating far more than our grandparents owned, as I mentioned. And two, we attend church at far fewer rates than our grandparents. The regular church attender now goes to church one to two times a month. And I just want to say, one to two times of church a month against the gods of accumulation, nonstop, you have no chance. And think about it. What are, what are we doing instead of intentionally worshiping God on a weekly basis, connecting with the true God of rest? A lot of what we're doing is enjoying what we've accumulated. 
another experience, possession we own. In many ways, we, we actually pra- practice an anti-Sabbath in our culture. We accumulate more and more, which necessarily takes us away from worship. But the Sabbath is not a, a question of, of what you can do or cannot do on a certain day. I don't want to go there. Although some of those questions might matter. They're not what's important. The Sabbath is a question, what do you value? What is your life about? The Mark uh, Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, tells the story of Grandma Alice, his uh, wife's grandmother. And Alice had a rock in her backyard. It was too large to move. It was an eyesore, so she decided uh, she wanted to make something of that rock, and she began to, to file it down, to make it into something more appealing. And as she began doing that, filing the rock, she noticed gold. This rock might be gold. So she kept filing away, and more gold kept peeling away. So she filed harder and harder, and more and more gold appeared. But the more she filed and deeper she got into the rock, it was just rock, no gold. She looked down at her hand and then saw the gold that was being filed from the rock was not from the rock. It was her wedding ring. In her endless frenetic activity, she was destroying the only thing of actual worth. Pursuing something worthless. And how many of us, that's essentially our life. The true God of Sabbath rest has become less and less in our Lives while the things we have accumulated have occupied our visions, our attentions, our dreams, our time. We'll compare that story to another story Jesus tells. A man is out walking one day and he stumbles upon a treasure in a field. Hundreds of millions of dollars hidden in a field. And so the man goes, he sells all that he has to purchase that field. Because even in selling all that he has, he has found something far greater. Or as Jesus says in the parable, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy, he sells all that he has. When we see uh, God for who he is, the God of Sabbath rest, a God who actually doesn't need anything from you, who is not asking you to slave drive away from him. He's not going to grind you into the dust. A God who's not asking you to earn your rest, but wants to give you his as a free gift, inviting you into his blessing and goodness and fullness. When you compare that to a life of accumulation, restlessness, and anxiety, isn't that the treasure in the field? So go in your joy, sell all that you have, and buy that field. Because that that treasure is a life where I can say, I am loved by the Father, the true God of rest. And that means I am all that I will ever need to be, and I have all that I will ever need to have. Let me pray for us. Father, may we see Jesus as that treasure in the field. That, That can only be a work of the Spirit. And so now as we wrestle through the questions that I think this text has raised as we wrestle through a culture where it's difficult to, um, to be faithful and to follow Jesus in. Um, I pray that you give us a space now of just, of just connecting with you, the God of rest. That you would love on us to free us from uh, what we believe will give us the good life. 
And I pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.